So we're nearing the end of 1 John. There's just a few verses left. And we do make it to our memory verse this morning. And we should all know it. And about the time I think I know what I can't see very well, I'm like, then I get lacking in confidence of how I'm saying it. But I have it pretty well memorized. But as usual, I want to look back before we start to our text here, 5.13 as we know, and look back at something else that John has written that helps us inform our text today. And, and this was uh, another easy one where it's like, oh, I can think exactly of something else that, that John has written that goes along with this. It's obvious to me. It, it's pretty much, it's a theme of his, outside of love. Love is a theme of John, and this is another theme of his. It's a driving, a driving motivation for John. It's what makes him do what he does, and it makes him behave as he, as he behaves. It's something he has embodied in his life, and something that you and I should be driven by as well. We should be growing in the same drive. And so it's what he's trying to communicate to us, and he's going to tell us that in, in verse 13. But, but he's going to tell us that someplace else as well. And so it should be more and more of our focus as we mature in Christ. Because it's not like we get saved and we have it all, we've done all, and boy, the victory is won. Yeah, we have salvation, but we are to now be conforming to His image and our desires and our wants and our, and our life goals and our missions should all then change and be conformed to the same as Jesus Christ. And so if you turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. The Gospel of John, chapter 20. Gospel of John 20. Our text is going to be the last two verses of the chapter, but to kind of make the setting for that, John has just told us one of the resurrection encounters he's had with Jesus Christ. Jesus is alive after being brutally executed by the Romans. At the end of verse 27, he says, Be not faithless, but but believing. Jesus says, be not faithless, but believing. Jesus has just told Thomas to handle him, to reach hither thy finger, he tells him. Examine my hands, Thomas. You know, he says, see, see the nail prints? He, he says, touch me, handle me. He's not a spirit. He's not some figment of his imagination. He's a real, tangible, physical human there. And he says, put your finger, feel it, feel it. He says, thrust your hand. That always kind of bothers me. He's like, man, thrust your hand. But feel my side. See where that spear went in? Because John gives the encounter of that, how it goes up and the water and the blood come out. We looked at that some last time. He says, thrust your hand in there. See that that's real. It's really me. You know, see it. A real body. The body that was executed, the body that was tortured by the Romans is alive. It's very much alive in the room talking with them. A real man standing in front of them all. The real Jesus whom they all know. And they know it is him by how he is talking to him. By seeing him because they've been close to him. And they just communicate to him. It's not a spirit. It's not a thought projection. It's not some mass hysteria as the world wants to say. It's not a man. It's a man who was dead and now is alive. A man who was violently put to death and is now standing here alive and well. Better than that. Not a resuscitated person who's just recovered from some horrible trauma in their life. Not that. Not a revived individual, but a better man. A different man. One who can appear and disappear at will, we've seen. Scarred, that's true. He does bear the scars of the crucifixion. And his scars are proof of pavement. I don't think you and I will bear the scars. I don't think we'll have the 
of the battle wounds from this world, because he heals us, he restores us, he puts things as they're, as they're meant to be. You know, I think we have that. But his wounds have a purpose. It shows that payment was made. His wounds are there because they were taken for us, that he heals us. And to remind us the price that he paid for us. That it came at a cost and he paid that cost. And I think they'll be precious to us as we see them. I don't think it'll be a thing of horror. I don't think it'll be a thing of, oh, I can't believe he's that way. I think it'll be, I can't believe he did that for me. I can't believe how he suffered. I can't, uh, I think we'll just be awestruck wonder as we see it. What an incredible encounter. To see the risen Christ, to be there. I think it says eight days out, you know, verse 26. It's just one of the miraculous events, events that John had witnessed. And he'd seen a lot. He's one of the early ones called. He's been with Jesus his whole ministry. And now here he is seeing him come alive, you know, alive after this crucifixion. As I was writing this, I could, I could picture John at his desk. I couldn't picture what kind of desk. It wasn't Ikea. I know that. But, you know, but he's at his desk, and he's picking up, and he's there. He's remembering through these things, you know, because I, I write thoughts and, and, and encounters and memories that I have. And so he's remembering, I think, with wide eye astonishment, pinching himself, like, I can't believe that God would entrust me with this. That God had entrusted me to be a, a witness, <clears throat> to see these events, to live them out in my life, to then have to. To, to then have the ability to record this event. The promises that were made in the Garden of Eden to, to Adam and Eve, that, that one would come who would redeem them, and I get to see it? His nation as a whole had been longing for this. The world, matter of fact, all creation had been groaning, waiting for the Savior to come and redeem not only us, but all creation, looking forward to this time. And he's like, in my time? In my life? And that he would call me? And that I would get to travel with him? And that I'd be in that inner group with him? I can't believe it. I can't believe it. That, that I could be this close. And I think it's the, the humbleness of why he always says, you know, the one whom Jesus loved. I can't believe he would do this for me. I can't believe he would choose me for this. You ever feel that way about your salvation? That he would show me? Why me? There was a popular song in the 70s, you know, why me, Lord, you know. What have I ever do to reserve even one of, the, of, of these things that you've given me in life? You know, but we've had that, and there should be a, a humbleness that comes. And John picks up his writing instrument, and he writes verse 30. And many other things truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Many other things. Signs of the resurrection. He, he's given us... Uh, a few, and the other gospel accounts has given us a few. He says, but there are many other signs of his resurrection I could tell you about. I can't tell you everything, but I could tell you the few. I can tell you what you need to know. And I'm, for one, I'm glad that he gives us the Thomas account so we can go against the Gnostics, that we can say it was a physical, real Jesus. He wasn't some ghost because they touched him and handled him because the cults will say that he was a resurrected spirit, that he was alive in this way, that it was something that they saw. It was a spirit, you know, all these other excuses that they have or he was revived you know that he just happened to you know resuscitate and wake up a few days later after the crucifixion no no this was the risen christ that changed he's been changed he's also shown them many signs that he is god think of all the miracles that he saw and the ones that we have recorded for us and he goes there was many other more man to be there in the presence of these things it's exciting to me when I hear testimony of what God has done and how he is moving when he answers prayer. Let alone if we'd had events like this, dead men walking, you know, blind eyes opening, ears being able to hear, 
Limbs growing back, reattaching to separate ear. All this stuff that he's watching go on and let alone he said, there's more. There's so much more. Signs that show his power. He's given us a few of those too where he walks on water when he speaks to the winds. Peace be still. And the storm quits. There's been times I prayed for that. Lord, let it quit. The wind could stop now. I could hear it pushing against the house. It doesn't yield to my voice. It doesn't, it doesn't obey what I tell it to do. But this one steps outside and says, peace be still. And all flat calm. The ocean settles down. Boats come and he goes back to sleep. And then it says the disciples are even more terrified now. They're more scared of him than they are of the storm. You would be if someone walked outside and said, thunder and thunder came. Yeah. He's shown them many signs that he is the Christ. Matter of fact, he's been opening things up to them. There's a few accounts that we have. You know, think of the road to Emmaus, how he went from the Bible and told them, here are things that point unto me. And there's many other ones that the disciples put in there, and they're like, oh, and this fulfilled this scripture. Matter of fact, I think when we were reading the account, when John was talking about Jesus being pierced through the side, he said, this was told about in the Old Testament. And he gives us the references for that, that he was through his side, by, he was pierced. Hmm. And he also tells us the why, verse 31, why he's writing this. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. This is why he wrote. This is the motivation. Writing something takes effort. You have to stop. You have to think. You have to spell. You have to do all these things. You have to try to get your sitting structure right. You have to put this down. This is going to be studied forever. And he wants to make sure it's accurate. Am I going through what I saw, or am I just going putting one? You know, so he has to be accurate. He has to really think about it. He probably you know, asked the others, "This is what you saw too, right?" I'm sure. You know, we know that uh, Luke did that. He went and interviewed eyewitnesses because he wasn't an eyewitness, so he went around as an investigative reporter. And John is actually there, so he's able to recall these things. And I think the Holy Spirit then also makes that come alive to him, where he can remember these events. Um, it takes extra effort. Effort. It's exhausting sometimes to go within yourself and, and recall memories and pull them out and the details that are there. I think our brains are fantastic, and I think our brains in the unaltered, unsinful state probably aren't ex- you know remember everything in all exact details. You know, it's even amazing what we can do in the fallen state, how we can pull and recall information. You know, but uh, I think the Holy Spirit is then able to go and, and pull that out, and so He's able to put it down. The time that it takes to do it, to sit down and write, and especially his day and age, it's not like, you know, he's a printer and has paper laying everywhere and ink available to him. You know, it take uh, parchments, was, it was harder to get a hold of and all this, and time and expense, soul-searching, agonizing um, thoughts and memories, going back through these things and reliving them in your mind as you're trying to convey this and put it down, reaching into your memory, pulling it out, and John does all this. Why? This is here, and he tells us why that he wrote it. So that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And if you believe John's account, and you should, he is a trustworthy eyewitness. He's proven that. History has proven that. He has seen this life. He has witnessed this ministry. He is in that innermost circle. He's not someone centuries later. He was there at the time that he is putting down these fulfillments of prophecies that he's written that. He sees that Jesus is the Messiah. He records them for us. Yeshua HaMashiach. He is the promised one of Abraham, Ishak, and Yaakov. You know, he tells us all this. He puts it all down for us, saying that he is this. Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and he is pinning that for us so that we know it. Because if you believe his account, and you believe his testimony that Jesus is who he says he is, he proves to you that Jesus is the Messiah, then you have hope. 
You can have everlasting life if you repent and trust in Him. This Christ will save you. This God-man, the one who came down fulfilling the Scripture, the one who's been promised, this was Him. John's account, He is here to show you this so that you all know and that you will know it and that you will have everlasting life. This is why He's written it. And if this is who He says is, then you should put your trust in Him. Put your trust in this Jesus, believing He is Messiah. Repent of your sins and humbly ask Jesus Christ to save you. And He says He will. And he will give you life, he says. Jesus Christ will save you. He says, that's why I've written this. That's why I've put this down. He writes it so that you will get saved. He writes it so many others will be saved. He writes it so that people could read this and get saved. That's good motivation. That's going to inform us to our text in 1 John. So if we go to 1 John chapter 5. Because 1 John chapter 5 says the same thing. Why has he written this account? Verse 11, we'll get a little run. 1 John chapter 5, verse 11. And this is the record that God had given to us eternal life, and that this life is in his Son. It's the record. He goes, I'm writing this down, I'm recording this, so that you will know that God has given us eternal life, and that the life comes in his Son. Do you have his Son? If you have his Son, is he your Savior? Do you have him? Then you have life. He has written this book to confirm that the truth is in you, so that you will know, so that you will know that you will know, so that you'll be beyond any shadow of doubt that you have salvation. It is a confirmation book to make sure that you are saved. It's a book that you're to go through to say, do I have this? When someone gets saved, I recommend they read the Gospel of John. I recommend that they follow that up by reading 1 John, because it goes through confirmations that you are what you think you are, you know, just to make sure that you know. Do you have the Son? That's the question they ask. Do you have the Son? Uh, verse 12, sorry, says, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. If you have the Son, that's an important question. Do you have the Son? Because if you do, you have life. That changes everything. If you don't, you don't have Him. That changes everything. And that is terrifying. John has given us tests throughout this whole book. It's a short little book, but he's given us tests interjected along the way as we've gone through it to make sure so that we can examine ourselves. First Corinthians, when we take communion, it tells us to examine ourselves. You know, that we're supposed to have a self-exam on who we are and making sure that we are right with him. John here is saying, make sure you're in the family. Like we said, this is a family book. Make sure you're in the family. Examine ourselves. One of the first ones he gives us is, do you profess Christ as your Savior? Do you claim to have Jesus as your Savior? Because there's some people who don't. Uh, you would think that, well, wait a minute, surely people understand that, but we've watched, um, I've watched many a Ray Comfort on the street interview, and a lot of people will trust in a lot of things, but then they'll ask them, do you have the Son, or are you born again? They'll be like, no. Do you profess to have the Son? Is it something that you talk about? Have you told other people that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Do you make that profession? Because if you have the Son, you would. Have you told people? Do you make that profession? Is that something that you talk about, that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Are you ashamed of Him? Or are you emboldened by Him because you are humble and you realize that you have nothing without Him? Do you make a confession that Jesus Christ is your Savior? He says, do you profess that? That's one of the tests that you can apply to yourself. Another one is, do you desire to have Him? Do you desire for a closer relationship with Him? Do you 
desire to live for Him, live like Him, to be molded into His image? Is it a struggle that you have in your life when you're frustrated, when you fall short? Do you find that you're like, man, why didn't I? Or man, I know He wants me to do this, I want to do that. Are you testing and examining? Are you holding fast to that, which is good? Or you're like, am I living a life that is pleasing unto Him? Am I growing in my holiness? Am I different than I was when I was first saved? Lord, am I, am I conforming more into Your image? Do you have a desire to be in Him? Do you want to know that you know? Do you look for confirmations of, oh yes, I see that. We should. He said it would be the second test. If you have him, you would want to make sure that you're in him and you would want to make sure that others that you know are in him. But you're going to make sure of yourself first and you would start to live for him. It will change your behavior. That when you fall back, that you'll get not two extra hours, but you'll get that extra hour, but then you'll be in church. You know, it changes where you go, what you do, how you're doing things. The third one is, do you believe the doctrine? Do you believe who he says that he is? Do you believe who the Bible says that he is? Do you believe that Jesus is God? Or is he just some ascended master, some great teacher, a moral man, an example to live your life by? Or do you believe that he is divine? Because John starts out his gospel with showing you his divine pedigree. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He says, if you know this is the Jesus I'm going to tell you about, the God-man, the one who's 100% God, 100% man, that he is divine. Do you believe that Jesus is that? Do you believe that he is the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity? Do you believe that he is the only begotten, the unique Son of God, the one who came down here so that he can redeem mankind to himself? Do you believe in that? Do you believe that he is the Savior, that there is one way to have everlasting life, and that way is through Jesus Christ, through his death, through his suffering, in your place, that if you repent and trust in him, that he will then credit his suffering and all his good righteousness to your account, and he'll take all your unrighteousness, and he'll pay for that, and has paid for that on the cross. Do you believe that? Do you believe that doctrine, that Jesus is that suffering Savior? Do you believe he is the Messiah? It's kind of the same thing. The one that the Bible has talked about. The one who was coming, the fulfillment of the word. The one that God was telling Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You know, that the seed of the woman shall come. The one who's been told here and there all throughout Scripture about the promised one, the Messiah, the King, the one who was coming, the coming one. You know, I've been to him, the branch. You know, all these different things that it uses for him. Do you believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of that? That he is the answer, that he is the one that you're talking to. You're like, well, I'll try him until something better comes along. No, is it him? Do you put your faith and trust? Do you throw in your lot with him? Do you believe that he is risen from the dead? That Jesus Christ, that after he was killed, after he was crucified, that three days later he arose bodily from the grave. That that same body that which was tortured, which suffered, that is the one that has risen. That he just showed us an account with Thomas where he says, touch me, handle me, see that it is me, feel my side, feel my hands, look at my scars, see that it is I. When Thomas saw it, he fell down at his feet and says, my Lord and my God. He's like, it's you. And he says, Blessed are you, Thomas, because you've seen. Boy, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's us. Jesus Christ has prayed for us. Do you believe these doctrines on who Jesus Christ says that he is? The one who spoke and the universe leapt into existence. The one by whom all things consist, that he holds it all together. Colossians tells us that, that he's the creator, the sustainer of life. Do you believe that? These are things that we need to go through in our mind and see. That's the third thing he asks us. The fourth thing he asks us in 1 John is, what's your conduct like? How do you live? Do you abide in Him? That's the word he says. Or do you walk in Him? Do you walk according to Him? Do you walk like Him? Are you trying to live a life that is pleasing unto Him? Do you try to fulfill and live out a life that is pleasing unto Him? Do you pursue righteousness? Is it something that you yearn for? Are you disappointed in yourself and you're like, man, that old sinful self is back. Lord, help me to do better. Do you pursue righteousness? Do you desire righteousness as your goal? Are you fed up and disgusted with yourself but then saying, God, I can't do it. Help me. It's a good place to be. He says, do you pursue righteousness? Do you seek to please Him? 
Lord, is this pleasing unto you? Am I pleasing you with my money? Am I pleasing you with my time? Are you, am I pleasing you with my kids? Am I pleasing you with how I treat my spouse? Am I pleasing you with how I conduct my behavior in the, in the world? Am I pleasing you? Should I go to this restaurant? Should I go to this movie? Should I go to the... Lord, am I pleasing you? We, we are desiring him more and more in all things. Do you? He says, that's a test. That's a test. And, and, and we've covered that. Verse 5, or verse 5. The fifth one, the fifth one he gives us is, do you have discernment? Can you tell truth from a lie? Do you know what's God's word and God's standard? Or do you know when it might be a, 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 a fake gospel that's out there by, by, the, by the fallen world that, that's been put forth? Matter of fact, he says, try the spirits was the verse that we looked at, right? Test the spirits to see whether they are of God. Don't believe everything that comes from the supernatural realm. Test it and see if it aligns with Scripture. So that means you have a love for his word. You know, because you want to have discernment. You want to say, that doesn't sound like Jesus. That doesn't sound like you. That doesn't sound like God's word. That hits me funny. It's like it's got a little bit of there, but it's a little twist that makes me doubt. And so we, we're supposed to be having discernment. We're just not swallowing everything that everybody's feeding to us. We're like, oh, yeah, I guess I'll just believe anything and everything. No, I even tell you, examine me, test me, and make sure. You know, have discernment. Am I telling you right? You know, am I, am I dividing the word right? And so, uh, what, do, we, do we know what's from God and what's from the devil? Because the devil puts out little red herrings out there to pull you off the trail and pull you down a path and to go down this way and spend all of our time on that and not seeking after him, but seeking after something else that's going to lead you into destruction. You know, what's from God, what's from him? Having discernment, do we test the spirits? Does it, are you cautious about what you believe? Like, I don't know, I'll have to examine that a little bit first before I take that in and put that into the doctrine that I hold to. You have to show me from Scripture, you know, from two or three witnesses, you know, at least three other places. You know, I want to know that. That's kind of, you know, that's different. I want to make sure that I'm right. Being a Berean, right? Paul talks about that, the Bereans, that Paul will be there teaching. Here he is, you know, one who's an encounter with Jesus Christ and been changed. And then now he's saying they are testing the Scriptures to make sure that he is telling it right. He's like, good, be a Berean. Are we a Berean? Making sure before we take anything and put it all in there. Because I've heard false accounts. I heard a, a false cult leader this week talking about how the Bible taught uh, reincarnationism. And they're like, well, you know, because Jesus talked about John the Baptist was Elijah. So he believes in reincarnation. It's like, no, we have a clear text elsewhere. It says, it's appointed unto man once to die. After this, the judgment. Now that he was in the same spirit and power as Elijah. He was doing the same ministry that Elijah did. He was supposed to be like that, but it's not the same person. It's appointed unto man once to die. And yet they have a cult that's built around this that see that we just keep coming back as different people time and time again. And the whole time I'm listening, I'm like, liar, liar, liar. I know what the scriptures say. And so do we have that discernment to go through and do it? He says, if you do, good fruit. That's good fruit. The sixth one, he says, do you love? Do you love? Do you love as you're supposed to? Do you love like Christ has called you to love? Do you love your fellow Christians? Do you love the brothers and sisters of Christ? Do you like to be in fellowship with them? Do you pray for them? Are you encouraged by them? Do you try to encourage them? Do you love them? Do you have a love for the lost that you didn't have before? The guy that was a jerk that you hated before, now you find yourself praying for. That you're like, man, they're just lost. They don't see it. They don't get it. Do you have a love for God? Do you have a love for Jesus? Do you have a love for his word? John is an author of love. And he says, do you have that love? Do you have a love that is given to you by God that has transformed and changed you? Do you find yourself being different because of this? Because of, because of this encounter with Christ? Do you have a love that was given to you by God? Do you have that? You might be a Christian. Verse 7. Sorry, the seventh one. He gives us seven tests in this book 
And, uh, and when we get through the book, we're going to go back and we're going to look at a lot of the grand things that we can boil down that going to verse by verse we might miss through. But do you have the new birth? Are you changed? Can you look back and say, the day I repented of my sins and trusted Christ as Savior, I changed. I have a new life now. I began to live differently. I began to act differently. My desires began to change. Things that didn't used to bother me at all, all of a sudden my conscience is pricked by. Uh, Dave and I heard a testimony of a guy, and I, and I found it uh, pretty challenging because he was talking about how he was a drug dealer, dealt with drugs, took drugs, was alcoholic, did all these different things. And then one day he was in the store, and he said he picked up a picture frame, and he's going up to pay for it. It wasn't exactly what he was wanted, but it was close to what he wanted. And he picked up a few other things. It's kind of like how I do. I think they ought to put a basket and carts in the back of the store too. So by the time you get there, you have them you know, to be able to help you get out with everything you're juggling on the way. But he said he didn't have that. And so he, he was going along. And he said and as he was going, he bumped the pillow and it fell off the, the counter. And he was like, but I'm, you know, I, my hands are full. And he's like, ah, I got to put that back on the shelf now. All of a sudden his mind began to bother him. That's someone's job. They put it up there. So he, he went back and put the pillow back. And while he was doing that, he dropped everything else. You know, he had to pick all it up. And then he got going and he found the exact picture frame that he did want. And so he put this picture frame there and he kept that one with him. And he's, then he got two steps away and he was like, that's not where that picture frame goes. And so he had to go back and get that picture frame, take it all the way back to the store, put it up there because his conscience was bothering him. See, because all of a sudden your conscience becomes aware, right? All of a sudden your mind does bother you about what you're doing, what you're doing. I thought, man, that's a perfect example. I found myself in that place too that I have to put that back where it was. I got to do it this way. I got to do that because you're different. All of a sudden you're sensitive to, am I pleasing him? Am I doing something that pleases him? Am I trying to live a life that is pleasing him? If someone else was watching me, they would say, like, there's some Christian rearranging the store, you know, you know whatever. You know, they'd be, they're like, you're just doing mischief. No. You, You've trusted Christ. It now changes how you believe you have a new birth. You can look back at your spiritual birthday and you're like, there's where I came alive. There's where I began to live for him. That's when I began to, to, to do things for Christ. That's seven tests that we've looked at to see if you have salvation, to see if you have the Son. And if they have the Son, the Bible tells us here, verse 12, then you have life. If you have those seven things, those seven things that John has given us so that you can sit there and like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this isn't arrogance. The world wants to tell you if you have any confidence in your salvation that you're arrogant, that you're pious, that you think you're better than anybody else. Lie from the devil. God wants us to have confidence. He's written a whole book here so that we'll have confidence. He's given us seven tests so that we'll be believing and not doubting, so that we'll go out and that we'll be able to do something for Christ's sake because we're a child of the King and we're on an errand for the King and we need to be busy about it. And so if you have the Son, you have life. And he says, look at these evidences. Do you have those? Then you have life. Then you're a son or a daughter of God. And you're living in God's family. Live by these rules and let's act like his son. If you don't have the son, if you go through there and you've had trouble, he says, then you don't have life. And I'm telling you this out of the kindness of my heart. John has written it down. So he says, so that you can get it right. It's not to condemn you and call you for what you are, heretic. No, he wants you to, he wants you to be right. He wants you to get things right. Because the answer is not, well, you know, I go to a Baptist church, or I go to a Presbyterian, or I'm Methodist, I'm Lutheran, I'm whatever else. It's not about your church membership. It's not about that. The answer here is like, how are you getting to heaven? If you answer church, or you insert any church or denomination, that's the wrong answer. You answer the Son. I have the Son. The Son is how I get in. He's the key. He's the door. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. That's how you get in. Hmm. You have to say Jesus. It has to be Jesus. It's not churchianity. It's Christianity. It's Christ that we have. It's not religion. It's Jesus. He is the lifeline. He is the lifeboat. He is the only hope. If you have him and you're in him, then you are safe. 
then you are secured. He will deliver you safely to the other side, and we would have confidence in that. John has taken us through all that. Why? Verse 13. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. So he's written it to believers. He's written it for those who have repented and trusted in Christ. Why? That you may know that you have eternal life. So that you'll get off the fence. So you'll quit doubting. So that you will believe. And you will live like a believer. And you will live like a transformed son of daughter of God. That you will do something for him. He said so that you will know it. So you'll be no longer like, I don't know. Because if you don't know, you don't do anything. You have no confidence. You're not going to go out and be bold for Christ. Because you're worrying about yourself. I don't know. I hope so. Are you going to be doing those things for the wrong reason? Well, I'm saved. Maybe this will earn my salvation. You're not earning it. It's out of gratitude. So, So that you will know that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. John writes these things so that you will know, that you might, first one I'll put in the reverse order, that you might believe on the Son of God. He wants you to read this so that you have salvation. And he's given us tests so that you don't have salvation, that you'll realize you don't have salvation, so that you'll get salvation. It's the same thing he told us in the Gospel of John, right? That you might believe. I've written this that you might believe. And the second one is that you might know that you have this salvation. That you're not adrift wandering through life with, I don't know, I guess that day I'll find out. It's a horrible way to live. There's no confidence. There's no boldness in that. There's no security in that. There's, no, there's nothing in that. And so that's why Satan likes it to be. That's why he wants to make you sin. That's why he wants to draw you away and keep you away so that you won't have any confidence, so that you won't live that confident life, and so that you won't have boldness in Christ and, and basking in the glory and the wonder that he is and the Savior that he's given you. He wants to rob all that away from you so that we're all like, I don't know. It's like he doesn't want you not to know. He wants you to know. Then he wants you to live like you know. He doesn't want us wandering. He doesn't want us questioning. He doesn't want us unsure. He doesn't want us unuseful. He wants us useful. That's why this is a family book. If you're in the family, be useful. Know that you have everlasting life. Do you believe God? Then you can know that you have everlasting life. Because he's talking about the record is true. God is telling us the truth. This book is written so that we can know the truth. If you are doubting him, you're calling God a liar. He's told us that too. Do you want to call God a liar? I don't think so. Trust him at his word. And so a lot of people are like, I don't know, I'm trying to believe. You're calling God. Oh, I'm trying. Dad, I, or, or, God, I, 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 doubt, I doubt your um, trustworthiness. I'm trying to believe. What an insult to God. No. Do you believe him? Trust him. Take him at his word. He's given us all these things so we can know. Do you believe his record? Do you believe the Bible? Do you trust it? He tells you this. It's confirming from beginning to end that Jesus Christ is the Savior. Do you trust his word? Then you can know. Do you have Jesus? Then if you have him, then you know that you know, right? He's given us these truths. Do you believe that you know him? Do you believe that you have him? Have you gone through these seven tests and say that I have him? Then trust it. Don't be doubting, but be believing, right? Because if you have the Son, then you have life. He tells you right there, do you have him as your Savior? Then you have life. Do you feel like it? I just don't feel like it. It's not about feeling like it. It's do you have it? Do you know it? Is it part of your head? Because your sin could draw it away. It's like... I am married to my wife. There's sometimes we might not feel married to each other. We're mad to each other, doing whatever else. No, that's probably when we feel like it the most. No, no, but, but, but when we're married, it's like we know I can go back to on this day, she and I made our vows. We have done this. We have a life together. We are married. I have made a commitment. I have a vow unto her that we have, that we have this love. God is the one I'm in a commitment with with this one. He upholds his bargain that he's done that. I remember the day I was 13 years old that I asked him to save me, transform, change my life. I can go back to those same times, those same vows, those commitments. And if I don't feel like it, it's usually probably because of me. And maybe I need to examine myself and see, what am I doing? What is wrong? Why have I let crept in? What's come between me and him that's driven us apart? And I need to confess these sins and get right. That's why he starts out First John 1, 9, right? The Christian bar soap. So be with him. It's not baptism that saves me. It's not communion that saves me. It's not my membership that saves me. It's not any of these things. It's Jesus Christ. Do you believe it? 
If you don't believe his word, if you don't believe these assurances, and you don't believe this text that he's given to it, you're calling God a liar. I wouldn't want to be calling God a liar. That's verse 10. You can look at it for that. Do you have him? Then be like John. I think he's motivating us for that. We're to, we're to act like a child of his. We're to act like part of the family. And we're to do what we can to try to convince others. There's many people who have. And, and we should take that example. You could write tracks. All different kinds to try to tell them about Christ. Write something down. Maybe like, well, I don't want to draw on earth. Do it. Put it like on money. Put it on a coin. You know, just track on a coin. Do different things to try. Why? So that people might believe. Maybe write a book. Or two. Or three. About, so that people might believe. You can write all these different books showing that. Maybe uh, make a movie. Make a DVD. Maybe write an invitation. Mail it out. Do this and that and the other thing. Maybe make a website where you can put sermons on there. Do, do something to try to... And if you're like, well, I can't write that. I don't have the ability to do that. Or, or maybe, maybe make a big cube. I put that in my, my basement was full today. Make a cube or tell them. You'll invent something new. I'll talk about Jesus Christ. Now, if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, that was buried. And on the third day, He rose again and gave us victorious. Wouldn't you repent and trust in Him and have Him as your Savior? And if you do, repent and take Christ as your Savior. You can go to heaven. And you can have salvation. If you don't, you don't have life. And eternity in hell is what you face. And so, you know, then you can go love God, be in His house, read His Word, fellowship with one another, tell the world about Christ. You know, invent something totally new to tell people about Christ. Why do they do this? Because they have a changed life. Because they want to transform their life and they want to transform others' life. They want to use what God has given them to try to win others, to try to convince others. Because, see, we have a new life within us. We all of a sudden have a concern for the lost. We have a concern for those who don't know. We have a concern for those who don't have confidence in their salvation to try to empower them. And we want to be like Him. So if we don't have the ability to write these or the means or the opportunity to, pass these out. That's why we have them. Take them, give them to someone else. Use what someone else has had to go and to pass it and to give them to them so they can read and know and have assurance in their salvation. You know, to come alongside, it's us working together and we're hands and feet and arms and legs all working together as a body of Christ to be able to, to, to do this, to perpetuate the gospel. Sing a song, write a song, do whatever, do whatever, YouTube channel, a blog post, a Facebook comment, all these different things that we can do to share him, to pass him out, and so that they might believe, so we can be like him. One, that you know that Jesus is the Christ, and two, that you can have confidence in him, and so that you might believe. That's why we do these things. That's why we gather together in a church and put our money together to help do these things. I want to end with uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Why do we do it? I think that uh, John, it's evident in him that he's written all these things so that we would know who Christ is and so that we can have confidence in him. Ephesians 5. And so that we might believe, we are to be the same way. We're to try to win others in that way so that they might believe, convince others to, to tell them that's part of our job as a Christian soldier. Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. We are to live a different life. Circumspectly, one that is being examined, someone, that, someone they can look at and see. And, uh, we're to be purposeful as we live. Not as fools, just like, hee run around being silly all the time. There's a place for silliness. You know, but, um, but as wise, making wise choices, making wise decisions. We've talked about righteous living and other things. Because he tells us this in verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Redeeming the time. I believe the days are short. I believe the return of the Lord is coming near. We don't know the day or the hour. So it could be tomorrow, it could be five years from now, it could be 20 years. We don't know. So we need to be busy, busy about passing out the gospel. 
telling other people about the gospel, informing them about the gospel, redeeming the time. You know, instead of just wandering around, you know, thinking about how can I use, how can I use my home, how can I use this, how can I use the pictures that I put on Instagram uh, to, to encourage others, how can I do? Th- Always think, yeah, we we can use most anything, but we should at least be concerned about it. Praying for people, just be a drive-by prayer. You know, pray for people as you drive by, intercede for them in that way. A thousand different things we could do, and I barely scratched the surface, but. We're to be redeeming the time. Because we know that we have this time. We know that He is coming. And we're to be then using it for Him. John did. John had this encounter with Him. And he's like, i got to tell people. And he's written the Gospel of John, First and Second and Third John, the book of Revelation. And some think that the Gospel of John was written after the book of Revelation. Yeah, it comes earlier in here, but they think that that was part of his motivation. i got to warn people. i got to tell people. i got to write this down. Man, think how you said, you know, one of the first fruits of salvation is boldness. Did you want to tell people? Did you want people to know that, man, I've just become, I just got everlasting life for what Jesus Christ has done for me. He has forgiven me of my sins, and we want to tell them. So John wants us to know. He wants us to be sure and to be confident of our salvation and to tell others. So let's not be no longer doubting, but believing. So know that you have the Son, and if you don't have the Son, That's scary. And you need to make sure. And he's written it so that you will take advantage of it today. You don't want to find out on that day, Lord, Lord, I did all these things in your name. You'll say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. Terrifying words. Be truthful to yourself. Examine yourself today. And if you don't know for sure, get sure today. That's why we're here. Ask me what we'll take the Bible and show you. Let's close in prayer.